This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good morning, Bucknutters. It is Sunday, November 8th, 2020. This is the Bucknuts Morning 5. We will be joined by the People's Champ, Matt Baxdell, in just a minute. But as always, we start the show with the Dean of Ohio State Recruiting, Bill Curlick. Bill, how goes it? Going well. Good to be with the Bucknutters as usual this morning. And uh, uh, another win for Ohio State, maybe with the way this second half transpired, not quite the way everyone wanted things to end as far as that particular game, but another win nonetheless. Certainly looks like a high state could be number two in the country uh, when the polls come out. Does look like that, given the fact that Notre Dame pulled it out in overtime against the Trevor Lawrence-less Clemson, so the voters will have to weigh that in. Let's talk about the Buckeyes. They defeat Rutgers 49-27 to improve to 3-0 overall. Rutgers drops to 1-2. It was a tale of two halves on the scoreboard. At halftime, Ohio State 35-3. Final score, 49-27. It did seem that Rutgers pulled out every single trick reverse play they had. How do we put this in context, given the two halves? Well, I don't know that this is... um an anomaly so far this season and that it just seems Ohio State has, has started out well and um, not maybe finished quite as well. And certainly that happened yesterday, um, uh, last night. You know, I think you, you, you look at reasons and, uh, you know, you, you, you wonder, at least I wonder a little bit about concentration after they get a big lead and there were a lot of mistakes, and I, I, I know Ryan Day mentioned that. There were a lot of mistakes, a lot of penalties. The high state just didn't look sharp, particularly in the second half. I mean, you're up 35-3, to three, I believe it was, at halftime. And, um, you know, there were some mistakes in the first half, too, but they didn't look sharp overall, uh, the holding penalties. And, you know, I think, um, you know, that, that probably needs to be addressed a little bit. I'm sure the coaches will. Um, you know, they're going to look at that film, and they're going to – uh, go over everything and, 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 you know, discuss everything of why, you know, what happened in the second half surf, what Rutgers had a little bit to do with it. As you said, Dan, they pulled out every, uh, uh, seems like every trick that they possibly could, but you know, if, uh, if a state is playing, uh, with total concentration and, uh, as well as possible, do some of those things work and, and also, you know, you do have to ask a little bit about uh, defensively. You know, they they just uh, they weren't great in the second half. They weren't great uh, at all in the second half, and you have to look at that too. 
How much of it do you think is Greg Schiano may have known a little bit more than your average defensive coach? I really don't think that's a huge factor, to be honest. Um, um, you know, Greg Schiano was here at Ohio State, but he wasn't here uh, uh, last season, for instance. And Ohio State has a new defensive coordinator, obviously, from when he was here. So, I, you know, in a, I, I just don't think that was a huge factor. I think more of it just comes on Ohio State. I think uh, if they take care of the, their business, it doesn't matter, you know, if Greg Schiano was at Ohio State or not. All right, Bill, let's get to your wheelhouse or your other wheelhouse, Ohio State recruiting. About 10 days ago, there was a buzz of crystal balls like no one has ever seen before, and it was the class of 2022. Super high-profile guys, your Quinn Ewers, your Damani Jacksons of the world, your Caleb Burtons of the world, all top 10 guys. And then there was a little bit of a lull. I think people felt like with the crystal balls running, there'd be a lot of commitment. That's not necessarily what it was about. Try and put in context where we stand now with all that momentum. Well, you know, it's, it's everybody talked about, and rightly so, the great 2021 recruiting class that the Buckeyes have had going. Uh, it's been number one or number two in the country virtually from day one and, and still, still is. Uh, so it deserves all the hype. But uh, meanwhile, uh, a class is brewing that could be just as good or better. Um, Ohio State is the number two, has the number two class in the country in 2021 rankings, but they are now, after the commitment of Benji Gosnell, the number one class in the country in the 2022 rankings. And, you know, and that's without factoring in uh, the potential to what all those crystal balls would mean to Ohio State. You get a Quinn Ewers, who uh, is the number one prospect in the country. Uh, you, if you get a Caleb Burton, if you get a Damani Jackson, if you get those guys, you get three of the top ten prospects in the state of Ohio. Um, you know, there there are more that Ohio State has a very legitimate chance to land, and, and is one of the favorites, if not the favorite, to land in Sean Murphy, uh, Will Johnson, guys like that. So this class, the 2022 class, could absolutely be special, is on track to absolutely be special. Um, as is. And when you look at all those crystal balls that were made, um, at the time they were made, you know, I don't think, and I know in my case, I wasn't predicting that those guys would immediately commit to Ohio State. I was predicting that they would eventually commit to Ohio State. In fact, uh, on the front row message board, I was asked, you know, when is all this stuff going to start happening? And and I said, uh, not for at least two weeks minimum. And, And it's been close to that now. And I said, basically, I said, you know, let's, let's look and think more of the timeline of three to four weeks likely for this to start happening. So there could be big things happening in the coming week or two or three weeks. All right, Bill, class of 2021, finishing touches being applied. One of their targets, Pennsylvania safety Derek Davis, was down to a final three of Penn State, Ohio State, and LSU. He chose the fighting Ed Orgeron. Why do you think he made that call? What do you think the impact is on Ohio State's class? And will they go searching for an immediate replacement? Well, I think a big part of why he made that call was that uh, he and his uh, family went down to LSU the 
uh, previous weekend and had a great time. His mom loved it there. They felt the whole family felt comfortable there. Um, LSU's got a, a very good track record when it comes to uh, defensive backs in the NFL and all that. I just think that uh, uh, they felt very comfortable. On, on Friday evening, uh, on the thread on our board, you know, I said that uh, I, I had been saying I thought uh, for quite some time it would be Penn State or Ohio State. But on uh, late Friday afternoon, Friday evening, I said on our board, I said I'm hearing I'm hearing LSU on this, and I'm hearing a, a, a big part of that was that his visit went well. I was told on uh, late Friday that um, uh, his uh, his family was just you know enamored with that visit and all. Um, so it wasn't a huge shock at all when it happened. Uh, by Saturday morning, I, I was told that it would be a huge upset if it didn't happen, that he would have to change his mind not to end up at LSU. And uh, as far as the impact on that, um, on Ohio State, you know, sh- sure, Derek Davis is a great player, but Ohio State has five commitments from defensive backs and three of them are initially going to come into Ohio state as safeties. Those being Jalen Johnson, Jansen Dunn and Andre Turrentine. Uh, Turrentine of the three is the one that's most likely to flip eventually to corner, but they've got three safeties in that class and they've got two great cover cornerbacks. So they've got five outstanding defensive back commitments and they're in, they're in great shape there. Terry Cohen has done a fantastic job recruiting secondary guys for this class. So, uh, you know, I, I think they're in very good shape. And looking ahead with what's still to come, um, you know, I think there's really two, maybe three, but really two guys right now of note, uh, those being the Washington guys, J.T. Tuimoloal and Emeka Egbuka for the class of 2021. And uh, Ohio State right now, I've got them both crystal ball to Ohio State, uh, not with tremendously high confidence level in J.T., but I uh, got them both crystal ball to Ohio State. The third guy – to maybe keep an eye on is Rajon Davis. They're still recruiting him, the linebacker that's committed to LSU. I continue to hear that you know, he would like to make an official visit, uh, but that he's pretty, very solidly committed to, uh, to LSU. And that uh, if, if he does visit Ohio State, it would need to be an official visit. And we don't even know if those are going to be allowed. They don't call him the dean for nothing. We appreciate his wisdom on the current and future Buckeyes. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Dan, and Bucknutters, have a great Sunday. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We are thrilled to be joined by the people's champ, fresh off the ice from his son's hockey game, Matt Baxendale. Bax, how goes it? Oh, pretty good, Dan. Uh, I don't like the double heaping of the first half last night instead of what we got, but otherwise things are quite good. You hit the topic we are going to have to handle. I asked the same thing to the Dean. Pretty much the tale of two halves. Ohio State up 35-3 at the break, final score 49-27. How should we interpret this? Should we be concerned? Should we be thrilled with the first half? Should we be worried that Greg Schiano gave everybody a kitchen sink approach to playing the Buckeyes? Backs your thoughts. Well, I think 
I think we have to look at the second half and sort of think that, yes, they were in the lead. And I think that they saw the R on those helmets and they assumed, well, this is Rutgers. They're going to roll over like usual. The reality is they didn't. Um, you know, Rutgers at least has somewhat of a backbone at this point. You know, you can see that they're actually seeming to uh, have some fight in them under Shiano. And honestly, it was it was like a rogues gallery of Big Ten names past watching that team. I mean, there were more kids that had played at other schools that I had remembered from recruiting than I could ever remember. I mean, it was like watching Kansas State with all the transfers on Rutgers. So, you know, that team isn't terrible. But the flip side is Ohio State lost the second half badly to Rutgers. Something has to be said about that, right? Uh, you, you, you can say that Ryan Day was actively trying to work out his run schemes and he was actively trying to, you know, do different things. But when you don't even get to your backup quarterback in the second half, there were some things that went wrong. And like it or not, this is now two straight games where the second half defensively has seen Ohio State have significant problems. Uh, so I am concerned at this point. I don't think you can just brush it off as, oh, they were up big and they struggled. This is twice in a row now where Ohio State was up big and then they couldn't put an opponent away. And by the way, looking back at Penn State, seeing them now at 0-3, that makes last week look a little worse in my mind than it actually was. I mean, I'm not sure how I feel about it just yet. I kind of go back and forth because 35-3 is 35-3. I mean, there was no danger in the game. I do wonder if Rutgers took an approach they are not going to take in any other game going forward. So running all those trick plays, I'm not really sure that helps Rutgers do anything but cosmetically affect the score. Let's talk about the positives first. Justin Fields' ability to elude pressure in the pocket is at a level I don't, I'm not sure I've ever seen before. I realize it's a little specific, but we need to start figuring out different ways to praise Fields. Your thoughts on his performance? What you touched on there kind of goes into what has been the most noteworthy thing about him this year to me is that there are multiple times a game where Fields evades pressure and you think he's throwing the ball away. And in my mind, I'm like, well, all right, what's the next play going to be? And then somebody catches it, and you're like, wait, what? That happened at least two or three times again last night when I think he's going to throw it away. And then somehow the ball ends up in the hands of a receiver. Uh, I sit here, like, watching these throws, and I, I assume the play's over, and it's another completion. And so what we see from Fields multiple times a game is that exact scenario playing out where it's almost like the defense thinks the play's over, and the ne next thing you know, it's a completion. One of those was a touchdown last night. So this is one thing about Fields. If you look at the, the incompletions he's had this year, they're next to, to none of them are actual what we would consider like, oh, the defense knocked the pass away or, oh, he overthrew a guy. I think he has, what, nine incompletions this season? Half of those are drops. In reality, I think half of those might be dropped touchdowns. Julian Fleming would still be running if he hadn't dropped that pass that Fields hit him in the chest with in the first half. Uh, we can talk about Justin Fields' ad nauseum, and there's, I, I don't have a negative for how he plays. I mean, really, the most negative thing to me was we ran him on third and one because the run game wasn't getting it done enough, and I really don't want him getting hit at all. But at the end of the day, Justin Fields right now is by far the best player in college football. And I, I was joking watching our running game struggle last night a little bit, and I'm like, it's okay. We're going to have Ryan Day run the ball twice, trying to work this out, and then, much like a Roethlisberger or an Aaron Rodgers, third and 14, who cares? Here comes a 16-yard pass. I mean, Fields had four completions wiped out with penalties last night, or his completion percentage would have been even higher. Again, this is the best player in college football. Uh, I don't think it's even close right now. He's, he's shaping up to have a runaway kind of Heisman season 
just watching him play. And I don't want to jinx him, but that's how good he's been. Get to the opponents maybe getting a little thicker based on what's going on. But I don't think anyone has shown they can cover either receiver, Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson yet. Their passing attack is such that I realize we sit here and nitpick about the second half. But in terms of real, actual competitive balance in a football game, there was never, ever a second where anyone thought they were going to be challenged in this game. There'll be plenty of time to break down records, et cetera. Let's take a look around. In classic 2020 style, Maryland, Northwestern, and Indiana are awesome at football. Penn State and Michigan stink. Your thoughts? Yeah, that is the – like, 2020 is clearly drunk. That's <laughs> the only way we can point this out. Like, it makes Mike Loxley look like a good football coach. Like, this is <laughs> – I don't know if I've ever seen anything this crazy before, but Penn State and Michigan being abjectly terrible in the same season – I mean, Penn State wasn't even competitive with Maryland. Like that was thirty-five to I think seven at one point, or thirty-five to three at one point, or something like that was the score. I can you imagine getting blown out at home by Maryland at Ohio State? We'd be we'd be torching the town right now. Like that is unbelievable to me, literally. And I, I think the craziest part about the, the the Indiana win over Michigan was the same fact. It wasn't close. It's not like these are like last-minute upsets yesterday. No. Maryland came out and kicked Penn State's ass. Indiana came out and kicked Michigan's ass. They weren't even close. In fact, right now, I mean, if Michigan can't beat Michigan State, who are they going to beat left on their schedule? I mean, Michigan State got blown out by six touchdowns against Iowa yesterday. And Iowa was 0-2 going into that game. So Michigan right now, their end of the Hoke era bad, maybe worse. And it looks to me like like they didn't quit. They just didn't show up. They had, like, no emotion in that game. Like, Wisconsin was worried about playing Michigan without Graham Mertz this week. If he can't play, I wouldn't be. Because watching that Michigan team play, like, they're not untalented, but they seem supremely unmotivated. Don Brown is an absolute fraud as a big-time big defensive coordinator. And the reality is, is watching Indiana and Michigan – the best Michigan-related coach on either team was Nick Sheridan, who's the offensive coordinator for Indiana. And if everybody recalls, he's the kid who came to the Horseshoe in 2008 to start for them whenever uh, Rich Rodriguez came to town, and it was like 42-7 to Buckeyes. That Nick Sheridan. Is he the guy who's going to take over for Harbaugh at this point? Because Harbaugh is thoroughly uninspiring. And he can say all these platitudes about how they're getting better, but they're not. They're not at all. They might not win half their games this year. That's how bad they are. And I think with Penn State, it's almost a certainty they're not going to win half their games either. Like, I was really interested to see Michigan and Penn State play, but now it kind of seems like the toilet bowl. And on the flip side, Ohio State's playing Maryland next week, and then the week after they got Indiana. Suddenly, those are the two biggest challengers in the Big Ten East. Like, in theory, those are the two games you, quote-unquote, have to win now to get to the Big Ten Championship which is crazy to think. But the next two games are going to lock up the season for OSU before they finish with the two Michigan teams. And I don't think anybody saw that coming. Yeah, I got a chance to watch both the Penn State-Maryland game and the Indiana-Michigan game. And what you said was interesting because it jumped out to me. I thought Maryland appeared to have better players than Penn State. And I thought Indiana appeared to have better players than Michigan. One thing is clear, they are better at quarterback in both spots, and that maybe has a lot to do with it. Indiana with Michael Penix Jr., and then Maryland with Talia Tagovailoa, throwing to a guy named Raheem Jarrett, who all of us know from recruiting. 
Rakeem Jarrett going to Maryland is tantamount to Stephon Diggs doing the same. I'm not saying he's going to turn out to be every week starter on your fantasy team, but that's going to be a challenge to cover. And like you said, in true 2020 fashion, now the toughest two games on the schedule clearly appear to be the next two weeks. How fearful should Ohio State be of playing to his little brother in the nation's capital? Well, I would say not at all, but I'm still kind of scarred by Jahan Dodson doing what he did against the Ohio State pass defense in the second half two weeks ago. So a little bit. I mean, we all have bad memories of the near loss to Maryland a couple years ago, too, where thank God for Dwayne Haskins, right? So uh, this is going to be two good tests for an Ohio State secondary that still, for me, has a lot of questions to answer. Um, I'm going to be very interested to see, because it's not just Rakeem Jarrett. They have Demas Jr., who's another really good receiver for them. Big picture-wise, if Maryland, God forbid, beats Ohio State, but even if they finish like 5-3 and three this year, have like a really respectable kind of season, that's a place that has so much talent. And from an Ohio State perspective, it's a place that's had a ton of talent that we've brought to Columbus. Chase Young, Dwayne Haskins. We could keep going. There's a whole list of them, right? If Maryland can show to be a respectable team on the field, Loxley's going to get more recruiting momentum and keep more of those kids at home. And that's going to make them a much more interesting team. They're kind of like Rutgers where you say, look, there's a lot of local talent. These teams should be better than they are, but nobody's been able to keep the local talent home. If, if, if Tua's little brother ends up being sort of the catalyst for change for that program, he's going to go down as like a legend for them. Honestly, I'm not super concerned about Maryland because Justin Fields, if needed, can score 80 points in a game. Right. Like if Ohio State needs points, they're just going to throw the ball to Olave and, and Wilson and, and to a certain extent, JSN and maybe Rucker. And you're going to be able to have Justin Fields throw for 600 yards and score 80 points. They can absolutely do that. But our defense is going to have to show a little more against the pass to me than we've seen through three weeks. If we're going to have Ohio State win those games in a quote comfortable margin. You're going to hear more about Talia Tagovailo this week than you're going to want to shake a stick at. That is going to be the media layup coverage, given that he will be able to give Maryland its possibly the biggest win ever. And he has the last name. It's at least household status. I don't see them getting it done. We will have plenty of chance to get into it. We appreciate the team stopping by. We appreciate the people's champ stopping by. Have a great Sunday, Buffnutters. What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski.